Today I'm reading Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the, greatest, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and pro, uh, prophets, prophets uh, hang on these two commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Lord, we do pray that you'll open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue to think about pastoral care, we are focusing on our care for one another. And that's a lot to do with relationships. In the book Everlasting God, D. Broughton Knox writes, The father loves the son and gives him everything. The son always does what pleases the father. The spirit takes of the things of the son and shows them to us. He does not glorify himself. We learn from the Trinity that relationship is the essence of reality and therefore the essence of our existence. And we also learn that the way this relationship should be expressed is by concern for others. Within the Trinity itself, there is a concern by the persons of the Trinity for one another. Relationships are vital for us as human beings and the basic social relationship for us is our families. They should be places of care and nurture. And the same is true of the church family. It should be a place of care and nurture. Each of us looking out for those around us within this family of the church. In our gospel reading, Jesus summarizes the two greatest commandments. They remind us to get our priorities right. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, with our whole being. Our life should first and foremost be surrendered to God. As we accept God as first in our life, we receive his Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us to know God's love and to show that love to others. It's difficult at times to love and care for some people. We all have others that we find it not easy to get along with. But with the help of God's spirit, we can be caring towards them despite any natural feelings that we might have. The second commandment can, on the face of it, mean we put ourselves first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
that would look as though we were tying into the spirit of the age where we're told about uh, truly loving ourselves, to put our own interests first. But Jesus is here talking about the natural way in which we have a concern for our own survival and welfare. We keep ourselves safe as far as we can, and we look after our health and welfare as far as we can. What Jesus wants for us is to care for others as of equal importance. In fact, to put the other person first in our caring for them. In John's Gospel, we read that just before Jesus went to the cross, he gave this command to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. David Winter writes, the love of Jesus is self-sacrificing love. That was what the disciples would learn with dreadful clarity over the next few days. This was what was meant that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This was what was meant that the son of man had come to give his life a ransom for many. What was at stake here was the unity and love of the tiny community which Jesus would leave behind, entrusting it with the daunting task of carrying on his mission in the world. Love is, only the, is the only mortar that can hold people together through the trials they would face. Love indeed became the badge and hallmark of the early church. As the Roman writer Tertullian put it so memorably, see how these Christians love one another. That quote of Tertullian's that David Winter gives brings a challenge to us. Would a non-Christian looking at our church be able to say, see how these Christians love each other? Do we truly care for each other? I've often heard people say that the care of someone who hasn't appeared at church recently is the job of the church. And what they mean is that certain people with official ministries should be the ones to care and follow up. But in fact, the church means all of us who are part of the family of the church. How do we respond when we miss somebody for a week or two? Do we contact them to see if they're all right? If we can't contact them ourselves, do we alert one of the leaders that someone needs following up? In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
that in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, there are many definitions of what's meant by love. Charles Finney says, love is bringing about the highest good in the life of another person. Leo Bassego says, love is always open arms. If you close your arms about love, you'll find you are left holding yourself. And Soran Kierkegaard, to love another person is to help them love God. Those sum up what Jesus was talking about when he urges his followers to love one another. Something that is vital in relationships within the church is prayer. Prayer builds up our relationship with God first and foremost. Regular prayer draws us closer to the one who loves us and wants us to understand his will for us. Praying for others draws us closer to them. It's surprising how thinking and praying for another helps build our closeness to them. I've often found that along the way. Praying with others can also be a source of encouragement. In my first full-time Christian work, I was a house parent at a drug rehabilitation house. It meant living alongside disturbed people. And it could be demanding and stressful. The pastor of the local Baptist church was a great support at the time. He wouldn't let me slip out of church without finding out how I was. Because he knew how stressful the work could be. If I tried to just answer the question, how are you, with the bland, okay, he would stop me. And he would say, no, how are you? He also set up a small afternoon prayer group, and I was invited to be part of that. And we would meet when we could for prayer together. It was a great help, a kind of connect group in the sense of our own church groups. And that is the value of the connect groups. They do connect us with each other. As we meet regularly, we learn more about each other. And hopefully we can learn to trust each other with the particular needs and concerns that we have. As we meet together, can we learn to trust one another with our needs and concerns? A post-green study manual of the past talks about how important it is to trust one another in the fellowship. Lack of trust in one another causes us to put up barriers and never fully take our place in the body and to fulfill our calling or ministry. Some are stunned in, stunted in their growth because they feel that others in the fellowship do not trust them. It's the reason why so many misunderstandings between people are never cleared up. 
To learn to trust each other is often the first step to experiencing a deeper fellowship. And that's what it writes there, and very true it is. Encouraging one another is important too. It's a great gift to exercise. The Post Green Manual again says, learning how to receive encouragement is the secret of being able to encourage others. Both are necessary. To encourage means to make bold, put heart into. The word is derived from a Latin word meaning heart, the seat of intelligence or of feeling. It's that state of mind which enables one to encounter danger or difficulties with firmness or without fear or fainting of heart. There are many practical ways in which we can encourage one another. Going back to when I worked at the drug rehabilitation house, there was a lovely couple at church who made their house open to me. I could go around to them and flop exhausted on a chair. And very often I did when I had the chance, I can tell you. We could chat about things over a cuppa. And my mind could be taken off on what was going on at the rehab by playing a board game with them or something similar. It was a real support and help to me. Hospitality is a great gift and can be a source of encouragement to others. When I was in Ramsgate, there was someone who had a great gift for hospitality. They would invite people round for Sunday lunch. And that was usually those new to the church or on the margins of the church family. And that way, these people were befriended and felt welcomed. Or they would invite members of the church who needed that bit of encouragement of finding a friendly and welcoming place to relax and share. Using our gifts in the family of the church is a good way of serving both God and each other. There are those who find it easier to serve others than to let them serve them. It's necessary both to give and receive service. In this way, we demonstrate our willingness to open up our lives to one another, to consider the interests of others, not only our own. If we get our care for each other in the church right, we will find it spilling over into care for those around us. We will find ourselves praying for those living near us. We will find ourselves talking to people we meet each day and being ready to encourage them. We will find ourselves being concerned for people beyond the church fellowship that we know have particular needs. Caring for and about them is a genuine way of demonstrating God's love and care for them. Well, just to finish, I love this quote of the Ten Commandments of Human Relationships. It really sums up what we need to think of in our relating to one another, both inside the church and outside of it. Number one. 
speak to people. There is nothing as nice as a cheerful word of greeting. Number two, smile at people. It takes 72 muscles to frown, only 14 to smile. Three, call people by name. Music to anyone's ears is the sound of his or her own name. Four, be friendly and helpful. Five, be cordial, speak and act as if everything you do is genuinely a pleasure. And if it isn't, Learn to make it so. <laughs> Six, be genuinely interested in people. You can like almost everybody if you try. Seven, be generous with praise, cautious with criticism. Eight, be considerate with the feelings of others. There are usually three sides to a controversy. Yours, the other fellows, and the right one. Nine, be alert to serve. What counts most in life is what we do for others. And finally, number 10, add to this a good sense of humour, a big dose of patience, and a dash of humility, and you will be rewarded manifold through life. So let us be ready to show our care for each other. And let us show that care in our everyday lives. Amen.